Alexander Wales. And this is episode 20, Religion and Fiction. So, cards on the table. Personally, I grew up religious. I was Jewish until, like, late middle school, and I started reading about other religions. Became more of a deist, and um, until late high school, I was studying more science-y things, focusing on science more, became more of a agnostic, and in undergrad, I essentially started learning about logic and probabilities and stuff and became more of an atheist. Ironically enough, what probably kept me deist and then agnostic for longer than I might otherwise have been was religion in the books that I read, the books that I really enjoyed that had God in them or gods or some form of supernatural higher power that I really enjoyed. But that's the perspective that I'm coming from, and I'll talk more about that throughout the episode. What about you? So for me, I was uh, raised Mennonite. They are a pretty small sect of Christianity that came out of the Radical Reformation. Original Mennonites, I'm Mennonite going back on both sides, like 14 generations. Mm -hmm. Wow. But uh, they're absolutist pacifists. Um, so both my both my grandparents were... Conscientious objectives? Yeah, in World War II, because they didn't believe that there was such a thing as just war and... I had a bunch of family who were conscientious objectors in World War One, and it just goes back a lot like that. But the Mennonites are very uh, simple people, sort of shunning technology. Uh, I didn't grow up with that aspect. Um, my parents did much more, but we went to Mennonite churches till I was, I think, maybe 10 years old. And mm -hmm. then we moved to a smaller town where it was Presbyterian instead, which was the closest, the closest flavor of Christianity that we could get. I think for me, I took a hard turn towards atheism at maybe 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. So straight to atheism, you just went like, yeah, screw all this. Yeah. Well, for, for me, it was always the Mennonites put a lot of stress on God as a like loving, benevolent God. And uh, they focus a lot on the, a lot of the New Testament, Jesus as a, Jesus as a pacifist, obviously, because they're, they're pacifists. So they, so they take, uh, all these passages about pacifism, about loving your neighbor, about doing good works and stuff like that. And so I stumbled on my own on the, the theodicy problem. Mm -hmm. If you have this omnibenevolent God who is omnipotent yeah, and um, omniscient, why is there still evil in the world? And no one could answer that to my satisfaction. So I just... And, and then I was a very annoying <laughs> atheist until maybe like 20... <laughs> is that when, around when you started having more non-religious friends and kind of didn't need to uh, rail against it as hard? Um, I think it was just a process of mellowing out in general. Gotcha. It, it was uh, more related to personal growth than, than anything else. Because, I mean, I still had the same religious friends from high school even. Like people who I'd gotten shouting matches with right, right. over that kind of stuff and they're still religious and i'm still an atheist but i just sort of mellowed out and don't really talk about it that much anymore yeah the uh, theodicy issue of evil in the world is something we're going to be touching on i'm sure but yeah the transition for me was was more of a all right this religion is clearly not correct in many ways and there's all these other religions so how can any one of them be true uh, I read all the other major religious works and was like, these all seem dumb in their own ways, but I, I still believed in God and, and prayed to God every so often and had a kind of buddy relationship with him. Then I started warping like the perception of God into this like 
larger multiverse perspective that was, again, influenced a lot by the fiction I was reading. I liked the religion, like, I, I liked the idea of God and, and religion as presented in in fiction. A lot of Stephen King books, a lot of um, fantasy books that had their own versions. And when I eventually started studying, like, science and things, I was like, okay, this is, none of this is necessary for the world to exist, therefore it's probably not likely. And I became more of the agnostic, but I went through the angry atheist phase mostly within the space of, like, I want to say like a year or so, still dealing with a lot of the, um, I guess, people, yeah, that were that were making life for others not particularly great while being religious. Yeah, I think I, I just, I rocketed straight towards it because there was a period of like um, maybe a month or so when I was convinced that God existed and was all powerful and was just like a total dick. Yeah. And, and so it was easy to like, believe in God and hate God. Yeah. The, even if God is real, he's not worth worshiping perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, especially if you're, you know, a preteen or a teenager and you're on a church every day and people are singing praises and stuff, it's hard for me to get back in that mindset of, like, being so angry about it. Yeah. Which is probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah. So religion in books is something that I've found myself obviously shifting on as my as my views shifted on it. I used to always appreciate reading about different kinds of like spiritual views in books because it was like, oh, here's another potentially true perspective on God and and the supernatural and and the world and everything. But as I've gotten more experienced with books and learned more about science and and reason and things like that, I've found that the inelegant portions of religious belief in the real world have kind of crept into my view of the religions in the, in the fictional worlds. And that's been kind of the struggle I've had with a lot of books that introduce religious aspects to them, to their world, when the, when the religion turns out to be true. If it's just kept as a religion, and it's just part of the setting and story and everything, you know, having a religious character doesn't bother me. Having a religious character whose religion turns out to be true tends to, yeah, for a number of reasons. I, I think for me it's sort of... The inclusion of religion is one of those things that sort of feel the same way about sex in, in fiction is that it can be gratuitous a lot of the times. And, and it's just like not doing anything for the story. It's just sort of sort of interjected in there mm -hmm. because that's something that's like really important to the author. Um, I, that, that goes for, you know, any religion right. or any subject. Politics and stuff. Yeah. Dean Kuntz. Does uh, I'm a Christian, so I want to write about these Christian things, and then it, it goes in even if it doesn't really service the story. And I've I've seen that in like rational fiction mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, sometimes just stuff pops up, and then people will just be talking about how foolish religion is in the middle of the story. Right, right. And that's fine, but it needs to be connected with the greater with the greater work. It needs to be like narratively cohesive. Right. Um, if Stephen King has a religion, I don't think it's ever been clearly put. He's, he's, I think, as far as I remember last time I checked, he kind of ducks and dodges the question fairly, with fair elegance. The religions that show up in his stories tend to be some kind of hodgepodge of his own mystical, like, creation for his world, that takes, that borrows heavily from our world if, if it takes place in our world. So there's a really great book that he wrote called The Stand. In it, there's a plague that, like, covers the Earth and kills, like, 99.6% of the human population. And there's a adversary character who's who's basically a demon in human form 
Vandal Flag who goes around kind of collecting all the evil people. Not even evil, the, the selfish, the less the less altruistic, the more self-serving people into his and the more fearful people into his camp and growing a society based on his tenets. Whereas the good side, quote unquote, coalesces around Mother Abigail, who's this old black woman that lives in the mid Midwest on a farm and, you know, is very religious and has a very Christ- high Christian like feel to her religion. And because God is obviously real in their world, it kind of plays with a lot of the same issues that I think bother me in the general religious aspect. Like, I did, it didn't bother me as much back when I was religious, but now that I'm not, I, I look at the same issues of what does this matter if heaven exists and all the people who die that are good go there? Their deaths kind of be, feel meaningless now. Stuff like that. Also, conflict resolution, but we can talk more about that later. So Stephen King, like, he'll include religion and God in, in his stories as part of the stories, it's usually like a a big part of the story when when they get invoked and they they don't just you know wax eloquent about forgiveness and sacrifice and stuff like that. It's just actually like faith based magic of some form appears or the god themselves appears if it's some giant turtle that's like taking on the god of fear in it and stuff like that. So the the gods are they take many forms and they're usually very present in the story, but even if they're not our v- version of God and our version of like normal religions, they'll usually introduce a lot of the same problems. Yeah, I think there's a big split when we talk about religion in fiction between using real-world religions that people have very concrete views on and very close experiences with and sort of roll-your-own religions, right? Yeah. I, I very much shy away from including actual religions i shy away from stuff set in the real world anyway because i I think it constrains it constrains me a little more than i like and it requires more research and stuff but religion is a big part of that because you know i i grew up mennonite i didn't really get like the catholic experience i don't necessarily trust myself to write authentically about what it's like to be a catholic or lapsed catholic Mm -hmm. whereas like inventing your own religion right right including supernatural elements that draw on like Judeo-Christian mythology, that's a lot easier. Yeah, and it's also less likely to distract for individuals who have experience with those religions. So like, if you've got the heavily Christian-based religion in your story, but it's not actually the Christian religion, you don't have to include any specifics that might complicate the message of sacrifice and love your love your neighbor and things like that that are at the core of the religion you don't have people arguing about you know abortion and gay marriage or anything like that and being like if if the christian god is real like has he has he made his thoughts known on these things that people keep arguing about in the real world or is he just pretending they don't exist like what representation of of the christian god is is in this story the liberal one the conservative one that kind of thing yeah and you can just dodge that neatly when you just don't base it off the specific religion itself. The problem I think that comes the most often with this is with vampire stories. If they don't do the whole, like, you know, any religious object works like a cross does, if, if only the cross works, then you're kind of, you're making a statement in that, right? Like, unless you've got some interesting backstory for why the cross specifically, that has nothing to do with, like, Jesus Christ dying for your sins and things like that, for why the cross specifically works, whereas other religious holy objects don't 
it brings in spe- like the the very li- literal interpretation that you then have to kind of address or raise more questions with the audience. Yeah. And kind of distract them from the story. And I think you can do that to a uh, to a limited extent. You can just be like, oh, hey, like, yeah, it's it's a cross, right? The Christian religion is true in some sense, and then you don't delve too deep. I wouldn't do that in rational fiction, certainly, because mm-hmm. you know, as soon as you bring that in, people are like, well. I mean, isn't this proof that God is real? Right, right. Like, how do you have atheists in a world where vampires exist and Christians with crosses can ward them off? Yeah. Like, there's um, Anita Blake does this where she's a vampire huntress and like she goes around killing evil monsters and stuff. And she at one point commented like, "It's really pathetic seeing a atheist try to ward off a vampire with a cross." And I'm just like, even as a, I think I was like 13 or something when I read it, I was like, "Why wouldn't at that point the atheist not have?" kind of the most obvious coming to Jesus moment ever, right? Like, yeah, but yeah, straw man atheists are also an issue with books that bring up religion, obviously. Yeah. Well, I think that um, mostly comes from how hard it is to, I, I find religion a particularly hard thing to get in the mindset of like this counterfactual mindset, mm-hmm. right? Cause I think I can do pretty well with a whole bunch of other things, right? I think I can, you know, I'm, more or less a liberal, but I think I can cast myself into the conservative mindset and understand it and argue from it. Right. And I can do that with a lot of things, but religion, it's it's very difficult because you're taking, I guess, core things about the world, the sort of like background stuff, and, and you have to reshape that. And then if you're trying to argue as a literalist Christian, you have to sort of, it's very difficult to put the arguments forward in a way such that they don't sound like parody mm-hmm. or they don't sound really, really false. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read the left behind series. Oh man. <laughs> uh, yeah. But there, there are, there are atheists in there yep. and they do not sound anything like atheists. Yeah. It's, it's someone's sort of did not, was not able to get themselves or, I mean, they're, they're terribly written books. Um, right. They're um, enormously fun to, poke fun at i think there was a really there was a really great series of blog posts where a baptist i think they were a writer themselves kind of went through the book like paragraph by paragraph and chapter by chapter and like tore it to shreds but yeah it's a terrible terrible series it did not have a good understanding of how atheists think and how atheists talk my my go-to if i want to have a religious person is basically just to never mention religion Mm -hmm. which i think is true for a lot of people who consider themselves religious is that religion is not a big day-to-day part of their life it's not you know you don't necessarily your your interactions with your religion might not be anything more than just praying once a day right you know before bed or something like that or saying grace before a meal that's sort of how i approach gender as well Mm -hmm. i think that's why though there is a there is such thing as religious fiction yeah because there are people for whom religion is much bigger part of their life and having characters and plots that revolve around learning about, you know, um, being a, a prayer warrior or, or activism, uh, prayer activism and things like that, and having it influence the plot is an important part of their enjoyment of stories. Uh, whereas, obviously, for a non-religious person, that's not exactly uh, enjoyable. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot easier as an atheist to just have a, a religious person who is not... I don't want to say not serious about their religion, but for whom it's a background thing. Yeah. You know? I think my favorite example of a religious character in any in a story was Shepherd Book in Firefly. Yeah. He was he was fantastic as a 
you know, religion was clearly a part of his character. Faith was clearly part of his character. He wasn't shy about bringing it up at any given time. But he never operated solely on the on the religious realm. He was able to interact with the rest of the crew and any that they got into as a person, rather than as like some caricature of what religious people would be like. Yeah. So how do you get to that place? Um, I recently wrote recently shit it was like two and a half years ago something like that like two years ago in the pokemon story i wrote the chapter where it's an interlude and janine the daughter of koga one of the leaders in fuchsia city is trying to get to the bottom of what's going on in her city with like people being hired to go after union leaders and she goes into this building of a self corporation and at the top of the building she talks to the head of the local branch like for the city and when I was writing the, the chapter, I wanted to make her not be as sympathetic a character as she otherwise would be, because it's too easy to have a Batman-like character be like seen as sympathetic and everyone else not really important. So I've got a lot of feedback saying that, that the re- a lot of readers sympathized with her target. And he was a person who I deliberately put religion into. I wanted to show a window into what religion looks like in the Pokemon world. I had him have the golden wheel of uh, Arceus as like a necklace. As far as I know, is not part of Pokemon canon as, as something that people do, but it just seemed like a thing that they would if they really believed in Arceus. Arceus? I don't know how to pronounce that Pokemon. Arceus? Whatever. So when I was writing him, what I basically did was I wrote him like a normal person, obviously, but when I needed him to draw on a source of strength, Whereas if I was writing a non-religious character, I might primarily bring it from their family, their friends, some sort of inner conviction, their ideals and goals and things like that. For him, I guess I included some family in there too, and his goal, like his his commitment to his company and being a good leader to his company. But I predominantly drew his strength from his faith and made up a little mantra that he that he would say to himself and that was religiously themed and. It was basically my way of saying, like, this is a person who in this world has religious belief and draws on it for strength, but in every other way, they're just a regular person. It's not it's not a a big deal. It's just a part of some people in the world. And like like you said, like that's kind of the way that it's it's most often done, I think, in good in good fiction, when it's it's not front and center, it's just part of their lives. Yeah. You don't have people necessarily going on like religious quests or you know, you have people who are canonically christian but the narrative never takes them to a church or anything without a reason right yeah it's it's one of those things that i wish i were a little better at i go to church every once in a while for you know funerals and weddings and stuff like that and it's very hard for me to sort of get in what i imagine the other the mindset of the other people there is so i just it's it's easier to avoid on the other hand i find it very easy in fantasy where, where you're not worrying about you're not worrying about what actual religion is like you can just build a religion from the ground up even if you like in the background as the author decide that you know gods don't exist or whatever that i i've always found it easier to get into the mind of someone whose religion i've created for myself gotcha I don't know why that is necessarily. It shouldn't make that much of a difference, but it might it might make some difference in the sense that you are there's a set of facts that you know about the world, and in order to to get in the head of someone who does not know those facts takes more effort than it does if you are 
inventing a world where those facts aren't as well known. For example, if you're writing a story set in the medieval time period, I think it's much easier to write religious characters in that time period, realistically. For atheists, I mean. Because you don't have characters that are aware of necessarily, you know, the cosmos and evolution and everyone they know is religious. At best, some people are deists, you know? Like, there's very, very few atheists in existence in the whole planet. Most people are some form of spiritual or deist, if they're critical thinkers or scientists of the time. And it's not as easy to rub up against the problems with the faith as applied to the real world. Yeah. Which I think is, is again, goes back to the idea that, like, you have to suspend what you know about the world in order to take a different perspective or what you think you know. If I'm pretending to be a conservative in an argument so I can better understand their perspective and argue their perspective, it's not that hard. I believe a number of things that make me a liberal, but my my confidence in them hovers around like anywhere from 60% to like 75 to 80%, something like that. But like evolution being true, it's up there. You know, that's that's a pretty high belief to forego. And even the wishy-washy Catholic churches, evolution is true, but God still put his finger on the human soul at one point to make it different. Like that doesn't really work because it still undermines the whole point of the Adam and Eve story. So yeah. It's a lot easier for me to get behind something like that, though, than, than like, yeah, creationism, literalism, or, right, right, or, you know, people, like, there's, there's sort of a, a gradation of mm-hmm. beliefs that are, you know, further and further distant from, from what I actually believe. Right. Unsong does a great job of playing with that and making it like the Old Testament is, is literally true. And everything that we think we know is not actually true because of these comedically absurd reasons. You know, like the space is just actually a holographic display that doesn't actually uh, exist. All those stars in the sky aren't real, so on and so on. And it can be played with and laughed at in that respect. When you know it, like when you know the actual truth, it's harder to do for people who I think don't. So C.S. Lewis, who was an actual Christian apologist, when he included religion in his stories, even when they weren't in our world, he would make up his own, you know, kind of version of Christianity or whatever. Yeah. It still ran into the same issues. Yeah. Well, he's a special case because he isn't like he was an atheist converted to Christianity, which I think is a very, first of all, a very rare thing. Mm-hmm. And then I think that sort of colored his view on the truth of Christianity. He, he was always arguing as, in like the Screwtape Letters or his Perlandra trilogy, he was ar- always arguing as an atheist turned Christian. And I thought he always brought a sort of, I don't know if this makes that much sense, but he always brought a sort of atheist sensibility mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, no, he he was like with the best apologetics in that he, he brought a sense of understanding the objections. Yeah. But there was still that that element in my in my view and reading things like the chronicles of narnia of everything's reduced down to faith yeah which is a problem for me in a lot of stories too that have religion in them so what's a problem is if there's any kind of magic that's faith-based or any kind of events in the story that rely on faith then it becomes the only metric that matters it becomes like it doesn't really matter how smart your characters are it doesn't really matter how strong they are how well they trained if all you need is faith that your benevolent, omnipotent God will see things through to the, to, the, to the right conclusion, if that's the only test that really determines how strong your magic is and if it works or not, then 
it makes the story much less dynamic and relatable, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's this idea that you will know goodness by the works that are done, right? That's that's a very, that's one of the things that the Mennonites stress is that it's about good works. It's not about sitting on your butt waiting for God to save right. you or, or just, you know, having enough faith and things will turn out right. There's sort of this belief that things are going to turn out horribly and it's up to you to do as much good as you can in the world and then you will die. I have to ask, what is what is God's role in that then? Uh, well, I mean, it's sort of, I mean, God's role is to provide an internal kingdom. It's it's the heaven argument, basically. Okay, so it's, he, he's there to get, provide the reward, but he doesn't interfere at all. Yeah, but it, it's not so much it, it's not so much phrased as reward, mm -hmm. right? That's one of the things that I you know I've tried writing religious people before that if your character is just cynically doing good because they like are afraid of hell or mm -hmm. trying to get into heaven. I think that weakens them a lot. Yeah. I think it's better for them to just, they suffer these hardships and they do these works because that's what it is to do good. And the heaven thing is sort of, it's a karmic belief, mm -hmm. but it's it's sort of incidental. It's not a utilitarian argument. This is an important place probably to mention that, again, what's realistic is not necessarily what's good in fiction. I've known plenty of people who, in their religious beliefs, that heaven and hell were reward and punishment that influence their behavior more than i would say legitimate quote-unquote desires to do good and i would never i would never write a religious character of which that was true in a story i feel like that would just it like it wouldn't be unrealistic and it wouldn't be even a straw man but i wouldn't want to represent religion that way in a story because then i i don't feel like there's much of a point in that it's just kind of bashing yeah. the same way that the same way that there are atheists out there who are essentially just angry at God and frustrated with him and stuff like that. But I wouldn't want the only atheist in a story to be someone who became an atheist just because their wife died. And, you know, to all other aspects, you know, is still a believer because that would be, I feel like non-representative. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a very, there are some good story opportunities there, but mm -hmm. unless your story is going to explicitly be about like what it means to have faith or be religious, it's it's one of those things that I would think about. I mean, I would think about a character's religion. Although when I write fantasy, I tend to I tend to have people be the equivalent of like liberal Catholics. Mm -hmm. They go to church, but it's not fire and brimstone. Yeah, it's not it's not so much about the like following this absolute thing and just having the presence of God in your mind at all times, mm -hmm. which is how a lot of people live. But I don't know if that makes for a good story. Right. There's um, another issue that I think comes from the, the perspective of having a heaven and hell. Not so much the hell part. People tend to not really care too much about what happens to the bad guys after they die. They'll probably, if they believe in hell, it's like, you know, just deserts for whatever evils they did. They're in hell, good. The no one deserves eternal punishment no matter what they do in life argument isn't necessarily a popular one outside of certain ethical humanist circles. Yeah. Or the particularly liberal Christians. But there's the problem I've always had of where's the tension in a world where everyone who dies goes to a blissful eternal heaven? This happens in a lot of books, even ones that don't necessarily have a particular religion involved. They're just kind of 
you become aware of the fact that people who die who are good people are still existing and are still conscious and themselves and happy and at peace and all that. And they always make for very heart-touching moments. Like, I, I, I enjoy them usually, unless they're done poorly. I usually enjoy them in the moment. But they still they still linger in the back of my mind as a source of eliminating tension in the story. No matter who is potentially going to die, I kind of have to forget that in this world, heaven exists. Because it ratchets the tension down. Yeah. Right? It's it's not death anymore, it's just... Moving like to another country. Yeah. Or, yeah. it's Which is still, you know, bad, but it's, it's not... It's sad, but it's not gut-wrenchingly hollowing. It's not rail at the stars. You know, it's... I don't know, it's... It, like, this is goes back kind of to the multiverse question of, you know, if there's infinite amounts of the same person... In every, even in every universe, was one death matter? But it's not even that, because nothing is lost except some time. And even in the stories that have, like, the heaven and hell as a tension, so it's like, we want you to save as many people as possible and, and you know, avoid corruption and get into heaven and get all your friends into heaven, get your family into heaven, get as many people as possible into heaven rather than have them be seduced to the dark side and go to hell. Like, that's okay. You know, that's got stakes in it that I can understand. But if it's just kind of a background information and it's not the point of the plot, then saving that family from dying, you know, like it's nice that you save them, but they would have gone to heaven if they died. So you've kind of just prolonged their chances of going to hell by staying on Earth and doing something wrong. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is again, applying problems with religion in the real world to religion and fiction. Because my belief is obviously that heaven doesn't exist. And if heaven does exist and you're, all you have to be is a good person to go there, then dying is not a problem. It shouldn't be treated as a problem. And yet people treat it as a problem, therefore c conflict of ideology versus reality. And dealing with that in fiction, I think, is something that I've never really seen done well once the, the concept of heaven is brought up without some kind of... Without making that the focus of the story. The idea of getting as many people to be in heaven as possible. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that... If you are religious and you believe in heaven, that that is not at all a problem for you, right? Because that's sort of your default belief about the world, is that when people die, they, they go to heaven or they go to hell. And so when you see it in fiction and someone's like, oh, yeah, they, well, they went to heaven, which we know is literally true. And then you're just like, oh, yeah, right, that's that's what happens. And you sort of gloss over it. I don't think there is a huge market for uh, advice to Christians on how to write for atheists about religion but that would be one of the things that i would uh that i would include in that very slender volume right so what are some of the things that you would tell a writer that's trying to put religion in their story yeah if well if you are a religious person putting religion into your story like especially with the afterlife i think one of the things that you need to keep in mind is that for people who don't believe in that it's not like the natural state of the world for them and so you just have this like throwaway line where they get a message from heaven or whatever, or it's like revealed in the text that, that heaven is still right or that heaven is a real place. Then that, that throws them off so much. I know it throws me off whenever I see it. Yep. Whenever I see like a casual mention of heaven and I get where if I were religious and I believed in heaven, that would not be a problem for me. That, that would not be different from how I viewed the world, but I don't, I don't think that there's that, large a market for religious people 
who are writing to, towards atheists. Right. Well, you know, there's not religiously specific books, maybe, but Orson Scott Card's early books were very uh, secular. His his religious beliefs, unfortunately, have kind of crept into his writing. I think a lot more as he's gotten older. But yeah, his early books, I, I had no in, inclination of to what he believed, regardless of what the characters said. You know, it was just wasn't it wasn't ham-handed enough for me to pick up on it if it was there at all. So it's definitely definitely can be pulled off with more skill. So how do you write a book in which you have a your uh, omnipotent god because in theory that god would just solve all the problems yeah right a lot of things that i've seen that try to work with that do the human that ascended to godhood yeah i guess because it implies that even if they're omnipotent and omniscient and omnibenevolent sort of yeah omnibenevolent generally they're, they're usually just really good people that get chosen or, or get lucky enough to become it or whatever they're still limited in some way by their pre-humanity like they're essentially just super 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 powerful wizards or they're some ascended form of of intelligence that's not literally able to observe determine and shape and guide every single atom in the in the universe right yeah i think i think that's a very common thing to take this sort of omnipotent god and if you're writing a story about religion, you just take him down so, so many levels. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the case in Unsung. It's the case in the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Has Aslan. He's not an all-powerful god. And it's common to include angels who are imperfect in their own ways. Yeah. And and they're, they themselves are oftentimes the only real interaction you have with god. So, like, god doesn't actually show up, but his angels do and they kind of do his work and they can they can always hide behind the god works in mysterious ways thing if they don't have an answer for something yeah i'm not terribly schooled on uh, lord of the rings but i'm pretty sure it's a similar thing where the gods are just very powerful mm -hmm. but yeah it i i think that's one way to to sort of take it is that you just you have a god that is very absent yeah and and then you have all your divine interactions are sort of scaled down to human levels or at least human in comparison with omnipotence right one of the great ways of doing this i've always that i've always enjoyed is um books like american gods by neil gaiman not american gods itself necessarily because you know what no i mean i enjoyed american gods quite a bit it, I, there were some i had some problems with the book but they they weren't really to do with this so american gods did a good job with it but there's a lot of stories that have gods in them that are not perfect gods. They're just essentially really powerful beings that have some extra awareness or, or powers and things beyond even what magic users in the universe would have. And as long as the religions being interacted with are either really old, like Greek and Roman gods with the Rick Riordan series, like the Percy Jackson series, or there are a lot of obscure ones from all over the world and things and kind of weakened by their lack of the lack of faith that modern people have in them, it's a lot easier to treat them interesting characters because they're limited they they don't have the power of the one omniscient omnibenevolent god and also the non-judeo-christian god i guess i should say actually just the non-christian god because the jewish god was a dick they don't they don't have have as many human flaws i mean they have many more human flaws they're they're not meant to be perfect they're meant to be like essentially people that just have tons of power um, which is why the yeah. Greeks and the Romans always have all these 
stories about them that don't cast them in that great a light. And when you do have it all based on, on modern stories and modern religions, or even just religions of our world from, from every time, there's this tendency that I found to do the faith makes them stronger thing. Right? So, like, the reason that the Judeo-Christian God is the most powerful is they're one of the most followed gods. You've got, you know, just combine all the Christians, Jews, and, and Muslims in the world, and it's like, all they're all, they're all worshipping the same god, so that god is the, the strongest one right now. What I've tended to find that was a problem is that they will treat all the other gods as flawed and imperfect and you know they they don't necessarily have to be bad they're still good characters like they're, they're still fighting for good things but they are it's much easier to see them as just people as characters whereas the the all-powerful and omnibenevolent god who has the choir of angels going around doing his work for him and it just stays in the background it's never addressed really He's, like in American Gods, he never shows up. Like you never see the Judeo-Christian God. It's always the the old ones. Or in something like the Dresden Files, you've got the major angels going around doing this stuff, and like each one of them is insanely, insanely powerful. But while the Dresden Files does a good job of showing all these different religions and and their gods as complex and interesting and and flawed, it never quite does the same treatment to the Judeo-Christian God. Maybe because Jim Butcher doesn't want to alienate a ton of his readers, maybe because, you know, his own religious beliefs influence it. I don't know what his beliefs are. He, he also dodges the question quite a bit. But, like, even having a main character who's a skeptic kind of makes it worse. Because in the books, Harry Dresden is a wizard, and he's, he's, he, he always says, uh, I wouldn't want to be part of any religion that would have me as a member in it. In the kind of, you know, clever, self-deprecating way of saying that he's not religious. But one of his best friends, Michael, is a paladin, one of the three knights of the cross, and, like, it's very clearly a religious, a Christian religious, you know, character. The other knights of the cross are not. One of them is a, is an atheist, and so, like, there's interpretation. They always say you don't have to be Christian to, to believe in good and, and things like that, which is great. You know, it's, it's it's nice that they do that, but at the same time, again, like, you've got all these other gods showing up and being imperfect and being limited, and yet every time the Judeo-Christian god comes up, it's basically just things either go well or things go badly, but you find out from one of the angels or, or later on in the story that, like, things just kind of will work themselves out or it's not as bad as you thought in mysterious ways and things like that, which to me is a problem, probably not as much a problem to Christian readers who don't maybe recognize that dis that subtle distinction in this kitchen in this fantasy kitchen sink world but yeah i would say that's that's the main way to keep a story like that from becoming problematic is make sure that you treat all the gods equally in that respect yeah if you're going to do that make sure you you, you do treat them equally so that regardless of what your beliefs may be you're not weighing in on one side or the other yeah i think the judeo-christian god in particular is a difficult one to to bring down mm -hmm. i guess to like depower and still sort of hold true to a i guess the character of it yeah yeah the the representation of of yahweh in my in my mind was the old testament jewish god who was like wrathful and jealous and and like he had flaws you know like he he definitely was a more human character than even Jesus was, because Jesus was all the positive stuff. Yeah. He was, was, was a perfect being. Whereas what many people perceive as the god of the Judeo-Christian religion is very divorced from the Old Testament's depiction of God. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, especially having grown up in a religion that sort of 
not discards the Old Testament, but... Picks and chooses. Yeah, picks and chooses. P- places a, a much more faith on the New Testament. Yeah. More than even other Christian sects, which I think do that pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, His Dark Materials is probably another book I should mention. Yeah. Good Omens by Gaiman and Pratchett. Small Gods by Terry Pratchett. Yeah, Small Gods in particular, I really thought was a good commentary on faith from an atheist. I actually never read Small Gods. Is that a Discworld book? Yeah. It's a Discworld book. It's it's one of the, I think, two or three that is disconnected from the others. It can be read without crossing over any paths or anything. Yeah. The Golden Compass trilogy, His Dark Materials, was probably the first, I say atheistic, even though by the strict definition it's not, but anti-theist stories I ever read. Yeah. For, without going into spoilers, you know, there's, there is a god who is treated as the god, but it's it's the story overall is very anti-religion and anti, anti-deistic. anti Yeah. So... I, I felt reading, I read it when I was mm-hmm. young, and then I reread it a little while ago, and I, I thought it was a little heavy-handed, and it's dealing with its, yeah. its proxy of the Catholic Church. Yeah, it was it was definitely drawing on the Inquisition type of Catholic Church. I mean, when I read it as a kid, still kind of turning from religion, I enjoyed it a lot more when it was ta- doing all those take that's at religion and now if i reread it it's more it's like you said it's more heavy-handed yeah but overall i I really enjoyed the trilogy and i think it's a great story and everything and i always remember it as like a a way that like you can include i want to say atheistic tendencies or or at the very least anti-theistic tendencies without necessarily going into having the main character rail against god or anything because the main character doesn't care at all like it's just it's it's all happening kind of at a level above where the main characters are playing right yeah they're they're kind of like non-participants in the war there's another word for it that i can't remember they're not in the war against heaven they're just kind of adjacent to it yeah but in a way that doesn't make it feel disconnected it's still it's still related to them just they themselves don't weigh in on it yeah it, you know it's, it's sort of interesting because the chronicles of narnia when i read i read them when i was little and enjoyed them mm-hmm. a lot and then i read them later in life and just found them really heavy-handed so maybe maybe that's a children's like writing book not necessarily for children but for teenagers or or younger maybe maybe going heavy-handed is just what you should do because they won't pick it up otherwise it won't it won't bother them (laughs) oh well yeah that's that's a better way of putting it It won't bother them because i'm sure they'd still pick it up but it's less well so i mean this is the the again the question of you can have a religious character who who shows off all the best parts of religion in your story without their religion actually being true. Uh, and you can have a religious character in your story that shows all the worst parts of, of religion in your character in your story without it being true. And either one can help, you know, promote religion or, or denigrate it. Even if your main character never actually weighs in on it themselves, like in like in his dark materials with the main character just has other things to worry about and they just don't care about all the stuff that's going on around them in that respect it becomes more heavy-handed i think because we know that the writer is trying to get a point across and i think as long as the writer avoids that feeling of like oh the writer wants me to to think this way that's really the sweet spot where you just don't want you don't you don't want to to ever have to think this is what the writer believes yeah i think that all my best writing comes from me trying to through my writing grapple with something that i don't necessarily know that i believe or that I'm trying to find both sides of the issue on so I can sort of examine it through the written word. But if there's something that I, like, really strongly believed and just, like, didn't understand how anyone could believe differently or, like, couldn't see through their viewpoint, Mm -hmm. I I think it'd be a lot... 
it'd, it'd be a lot more difficult to not be heavy-handed about it. Yeah. The preponderance of evidence for or against a position makes a big difference, I think. Yeah. Along with, of course, how how personal the thing is to you, you know. I'd probably have a harder time arguing against a belief if it personally involved, like, if it personally affected my life than one that that was kind of just abstract and academic to me. Yeah. So uh, that's it for Religions and Fiction. Stay tuned after the outro music for another book recommendation, and thanks for listening. This week I'll be recommending The Golden Compass by Philip Pullman. It's the first book in the His Dark Materials trilogy, and it's kind of hard to go into why I'm recommending it without massive spoilers. The series is amazing, though, with great characters for every role, from heroes to anti-heroes to villains to anti-villains, and it has one of the most unique multiverses I've ever read. Just to mention what makes the first book great, though, its main character is still my favorite female protagonist in a published novel. The people in her world have these sapient, shape-shifting familiars that talk to them and are really cute and awesome. And one of the nations is populated by talking armored bears. Seriously, it's awesome. If you saw the movie or played the video game and weren't impressed, then believe me, the book is much better. There will be a link to the book in the show notes, but if you like to listen to books as well as read them, then you can get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day trial at Audible Duck. Just go to audibletrial.com rational to get your book credit and help support the podcast. Thanks for listening.